Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today's podcast is presented by EPRA, the European Public Real Estate Association. Facing global megatrends like green transition and aging population, how will listed real estate contribute to a sustainable future and financial security for Europe? So right after I graduated from university, I moved to New York City. So exciting. But of course, I mean, God, that place is so expensive. And there was this mayoral election in 2009. And there was this guy and his platform was one thing. Rent is too damn high. The rent is too damn high. Rent too damn high. So he didn't end up winning the election, but it was clear that this issue is a galvanizing one for voters. I'm Sarah Wheaton, host of EU Confidential, and now that I'm here living my European dream in Brussels, I'm getting a sense of deja vu. It turns out that around the continent, the rent is too damn high. From Greece to Portugal, from Barcelona to Luxembourg to Warsaw, it's getting harder and harder to rent a decent place or to buy a house. Waiting lists for social housing have never been so long, and people are getting frustrated. Protesters out in Dublin today to raise the roof on the worsening housing and homelessness crisis. In the Netherlands, thousands of demonstrators took to the streets. Protesters in Portugal have taken to the streets to rally against rising house prices. So I don't want to dig too deep into the numbers, but just listen to this. Between 2012 and 2022, rents went up by an average of 20% and housing prices by almost 50% across the block. In Germany alone, there's a shortage of around 900,000 housing units and nearly 400,000 in the Netherlands. So how did we get here? What are the consequences? And how do we tackle this crisis? Can the EU do more about the rent that's too damn high? Rent is too damn high. This is clearly becoming a movement. Just this week here in Brussels, there were two separate political rallies aimed at making affordable housing a campaign issue during the EU elections in June. Nothing like the fear of losing your seat to drive some action. We'll discuss some of these new demands with our guests, Kim van Sparentak, who's a Dutch Green MEP, and Anne Persoons, the Secretary of State for the Brussels Capital Region. That's coming up later. But first, let's try to dispel a few myths about the housing crisis itself. So to kick things off, I have here in studio my colleague, Aitor Hernandez-Morales. Hi, Aitor. Hi, Sarah. And Sorica Edwards, the Secretary General of Housing Europe. Hi, Sarah. Nice to meet you. So, Aitor, let me start with you. The housing crisis is becoming a huge issue across the EU. Rents are skyrocketing everywhere. Housing prices are skyrocketing. Salaries, definitely not. How did we get here? Well, basically, we stopped building. It's that simple. What you uh, see if you really track this across Europe is that public administrations gave up on their responsibility to build. There was a lot of this during the first half of the 20th century, for example, and certainly in the post-war period. But you start seeing it drop off and you start seeing a reliance on private investors and real estate companies. 
And uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, they've kept building, but for certain segments of the public that are profitable for them. And so affordable housing just hasn't kept up. We just don't have the stock that is needed right now. And we're seeing this play out, you know, around the continent. In your latest piece, you spoke to an Irish man. He's a florist. What's his issue? Yeah, so we spoke with Thomas in Dublin, and he was telling us that really that the situation is so dire in the Irish capital right now. Flats that are advertised can easily have, you know, 50 people show up to viewings and you have to have cash on hand because the flat will be rented at that very moment. He even spoke about situations where he has friends who are even paying to share beds in the city. The thing that's really worth emphasizing here is that this isn't just a problem in Dublin. We see variations of this exact same scenario in cities like Lisbon, Barcelona, Paris, certainly, and even here in Brussels. So it really is a problem that we're seeing across Europe. We simply have a real crunch here. Sorica, before I get into my question for you, can you just tell us a little bit about what Housing Europe is? Sure, yeah. So we are the classic organization. You find many of those in Brussels that are... Uh, representing the national and regional federations in a specific field. And in this case, it's social public cooperative housing. So we are trying to get better regulation, better financing, better knowledge around housing at EU level. And in addition to that, we have a, a research branch which is tracking the trends in our sector around Europe. So as far as those trends and what you're hearing from your members, do you have the sense that we're facing, you know, 27 different housing crises in each member state? Or is this one big pan-European problem? When it comes to housing, you have to take the local context into perspective. And there are differences there. So there are differences in what type of housing is missing in different areas and to what extent affordability is an issue. But generally speaking, what we are seeing in the places where people want to live or need to live because uh, they have access to jobs, uh, services, transport, schools, we are seeing a general affordability crisis. So we are seeing more and more people on low and middle income really being um, forced to spend much a bigger part of their income than they should be on just keeping a roof over their head. And then, of course, as, uh, particularly in, let's say, more attractive areas, more downtown areas where you have tourist attractions, we have the added issue of more housing that would have potentially been available for long-term rent going to house tourists in a short term. So, yes, I would say we're facing pretty similar issues across the board. Well, yeah, so we're talking about issues related to a basic need that people have. We're talking about class differences. It's not hard to see why this is becoming sort of an election issue. In some member countries, the far-right parties are increasingly talking about housing, using it as a platform for their campaigns, and maybe even in the European elections in June. Aitor, what do you see as far as this political trend? What we're seeing is is the far right really running with this false allegation that it's uh, undocumented migrants that are taking housing. Back in November, for example, we saw riots break out in, in Dublin, and those were partially motivated by this rumor that council flats and public housing was being taken up by uh, undocumented migrants. It's not true. If you actually look at the requirements to qualify for public housing across the block, one of the basic ones is you have to be a legal resident. And then there are added barriers that make it actually very complicated to get access to public housing. It's similarly a bit absurd to suggest that high prices, for example, in central Barcelona are being driven by low-income migrants. It's wealthy tourists that are actually making it a lot harder to grab onto those properties. Or for example, with Lisbon, what you're seeing is the impact, for example, of digital nomads. So 
expats which have a much higher income are able to pay much more for flats and naturally the market adapts itself around that and that ends up excluding a lot of historic residents of these neighborhoods who can fall prey to these uh, uh, far-right arguments that the problem really are the foreigners of color. Let's put it that way. I have this perception, maybe wrong, but um, some of these more historic residents, they're cashing out. Suddenly their properties are worth way more. I mean, isn't this kind of good for everybody in the end? It depends on the country. For example, sure, in countries with very high ownership rates like Spain, sure, you may be cashing out and you may be making quite a bit from flipping your your flat. You know, there are tons of separate arguments as to how this changes the identity of neighborhoods. And certainly, you know, you end up with the Disneyfication of of certain uh, central neighborhoods, in particularly touristic cities. But in other parts of Europe, that's not necessarily the case. So, for example, in Lisbon, one of the problems was that historic residents were on these locked-in rental schemes that date back to when Portugal was a dictatorship, they were paying very, very, very low rents. Their buildings were not really being taken care of because once you know we transitioned to democracy, the money coming out of it was not really enough to keep up these buildings. But what we've seen is a lot of them then being bought out by private investors who then flip them. They force out the older residents, and they're really not left with anywhere to go. Sorry, guys, see you taking a lot of notes. I bet you might want to weigh in here. Well, you mentioned that it's getting a lot of political attention, but I'd like to put a slightly positive spin on that because what we've seen is that at long last, after waiting 13 years, ministers, uh, so EU ministers responsible for housing, you don't always have a housing minister, but at long last, after 13 years, they're actually sitting back around the table together since, since two years. So France kicked that off again under their presidency. I see that as a relatively positive sign because I think, as was mentioned, public authorities have been just taking the back seat and hoping that the housing market would regulate itself. So, But what we are seeing in the willingness to come back together and discuss this, countries yet again sort of starting to to reconnect, recognise that they have similar issues, that they have the same challenges in urban areas around um, managing the, the rental market, making sure the supply is there for key workers. That is a positive sign. So it's obviously being used by less progressive forces, as we've said. And, and this, this is clear, they're always going to jump on opportunities like that. But I would say that the conversations are starting to happen about how we can turn this around and how we can actually address the problem in a constructive way rather than uh, scapegoating it and blaming all our, our woes on the obvious targets. One uh, obvious target for any uh, national or local official is Brussels. And there is one area where countries really are struggling with how to deal with uh, with a mandate from Brussels, which is this major initiative to kind of retrofit and make housing more green. Is this sort of requirement to upgrade, is this affecting the housing crisis at all at this point? Certainly Brussels during this uh, legislature that's coming to an end, they've doubled down with these uh, Green Deal targets. And these are very necessary targets for us to reach our climate commitments. Basically, we cannot reach that point where we're decarbonized at the level that we need to fight climate change without making massive changes to the buildings in in which we live. Many, most, you could even say, are energy inefficient. So as part of that, you have legislation like the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive. Now, that sets targets. It has been watered down substantially, so we haven't quite gotten to the point where people need to be terrified that they're going to get a crackdown from Brussels if their house doesn't reach a better level of insulation. But we are moving in a direction where one way or the other, 
those retrofits are going to have to be made and they're very expensive. So that is becoming part of the conversation. Certainly in some countries, the far right has even used that to say Brussels is going to come and force you to change your windows and, you know, it's going to cost you all this money. It's not untrue, though, right? It's not untrue. But what we are seeing, and, and this goes to the point that was being made before, what we are seeing is politicians already seeing this coming and essentially saying Brussels needs to help us address this problem so that people aren't saddled with those costs. This is a change that everybody recognizes is going to have to be made. The key here is to make sure that there's financing there so that everyone can go along and people don't see it as a punishment, but rather as an improvement. We all want to live in warmer homes and we all want to live in more energy efficient homes. I completely agree. Homes have to be more energy efficient. Um, We are wasting too much energy in keeping them at an adequate um, livable temperature. But I think the reason it's such a problem is actually just a reflection of the broader problems we have with the housing market. So housing should be seen as infrastructure, like a public infrastructure that we need to make our societies, our economies function. So just like health and education, making that energy efficient, making that fit for future, even making sure that the roofs are producing energy for those homes and for the local community should be a given. And actually, we see that it is a given in a lot of the organizations that we are directly linked with. So the limited profit sector, the cooperative sector, the public sector, they are renovating their homes. And in our latest study, we've actually seen on average across Europe, the social housing, social public property is actually more efficient. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the time to change the paradigm on housing is really here. And that counts not just to keep our economies running, to keep our schools running, to keep our families, uh, children out of homelessness, not only for that, but also for the environment. We need to change the paradigm. You, Sirica, kind of had the challenge of working in Brussels on a sector that is not an official EU competence or authority, yet you've just launched your your manifesto, your kind of list of election asks. What's in it? And, and, you know, where do you see the EU being able to change the game? Of course, as I said, housing is a national, local issue. However, increasingly, there is a growing recognition that more could be done at EU level. We as Housing Europe definitely not calling suddenly for, you know, EU regulation of national housing sectors. However, what we would like to see is a bit more coherence. So when we have EU policies, whether that's on competition law, whether that's on state aid law, whether that's on energy efficiency, we would like to see different parts of the European Commission coming together and thinking about, okay, how is this actually going to have an impact on this key sector that is actually top of EU citizens' concerns at local level? So this is what we are not seeing currently. We're not seeing that linked up approach at EU level. And the core shift we would like to see when we see a group like that established, and we were hoping that will happen with the next commission, we want an inter-service group really led at vice president level, if possible, the European Commission. What we would like to see is indeed a reflection of the change of paradigm. So I mentioned that we are starting to see in in quite a few cities and member states across the the union, this change in paradigm. They're realizing that, no, we can't stand back and just let housing take care of itself. We have to step in. Housing is not fit for our aging population. It's not fit to cater for students uh, starting university. It's not fit for basically having a competitive economy. So what we would like to see is the reflection of that at EU level. Aitor, what do you think? Give us some political context. Is this idea just going to sail through or is it going to face resistance? It's a really interesting moment because what we are seeing is politicians from all levels, so uh, mayors, uh, regional authorities, national leaders, MEPs, 
It even looks like parts of the commission. They're all very warm to this. And the most important thing is these people belong to all the mainstream parties. So it looks like there finally is consensus that the EU needs to step in. It needs to do something here. Now, what that something will look like is always very different. If you speak to more center-right forces, they're in favor of you know tax breaks for private constructors and so forth. Whereas if you speak more with the center-left and certainly the left, they're much more in favor of doubling down on social housing. There seems to be widespread consensus that state aid regulations need to be tweaked to allow countries to invest a lot more in affordable housing. So that's a certain agreement. And there seems to be a general consensus that, yes, the EU needs to have not only a dedicated task force, I've had some politicians go so far as to say that they want a dedicated housing commissioner. Whether that will happen, we'll have to see. But it certainly appears to be an issue that's top of the agenda on all sides of the spectrum. It looks like everyone's kind of coming together on this issue, which is nice to see. All right. Well, Aitor Hernandez-Morales, Sorica Edwards, you really helped set the stage for the next discussions we're going to be having on this podcast. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. FYI, we'll include a link to ITOR's article in our show notes. After the break, we'll zoom into the Netherlands, where polls show almost 90% of people think there's a serious housing crisis. And we'll look at the housing challenges here in Brussels. Stay with us. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. A message from EPRA. In an era where the green transition and retirement security are top priorities for the next EU Commission, listed real estate is a dual force in addressing these global megatrends. As the world strives to meet the Paris Agreement's objectives, the sector provides transformation to Europe's building stock, significantly reducing our carbon footprint and advancing sustainable development goals. Amid financial uncertainties, particularly around retirement income, Listed real estate offers a resilient investment choice, promising stability, growth, and positive social impacts. It provides crucial infrastructure Europe needs, from healthcare facilities to sustainable housing, ensuring a greener, more secure future for millions. EPRA and its members are dedicated to leveraging this potential, working alongside EU institutions to foster investments that build and benefit society and Europe. So I am here in the studio with Kim von Sparentak, member of the European Parliament with the Greens. Kim, thank you so much for being here, first of all. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the invitation. I'm going to jump right in with kind of a personal question, actually. So you were directly affected by sort of this lack of affordable housing, right? Yeah. When I got elected, I was still living with three flatmates in a very small bedroom that only fitted a single bed. So yeah, and I was 29 when I got elected. So I'm very aware of uh, the situation you can be in when, you know, I had a job and uh, I just couldn't afford my own place. Uh, I even moved from Amsterdam to Rotterdam because in Amsterdam it was absolutely impossible to find something. Mm. And, you know, your country, the Netherlands, the housing crisis is really intense. We've seen protests on the streets in, in Amsterdam and in Rotterdam and in The Hague. Can you walk us through a little bit through some of the causes and how it's playing out for everybody there? 
Yeah, actually, I think there's several things going on. On the one hand, we see that there's been a very big liberalization of the housing market. At some point, we had a minister from the liberals from the Favorite Day Party who said, well, our housing market is finished. We don't need any rules anymore. We can now just have, you know, everyone speculating on housing and we don't really need rules to protect citizens and the right to housing. And it shows they have actively invited, you know, corporate landlords from elsewhere to invest in the Netherlands. And it was estimated in 2021 that they invested in only Amsterdam about 14 billion euros. So um, they did and they flipped all the housing and it became way more expensive. Meanwhile, the government has been taxing the social housing sector way more um, than the private housing sector. So all that combined in the end leads to very long waiting list for the more social housing. And just to be clear, social housing in the Netherlands also includes affordable housing. So also for people who are not in, in desperate needs, but people who just have a regular job like a teacher or something. And actually the private sector is booming and but also becoming super expensive and the housing costs are, are just going through the roof. But I mean, everybody wants to live in Amsterdam. It's so beautiful. Everybody wants to visit. I mean, isn't this just kind of a sign of, of a great economy? Well, you could you could say it's a sign of a great economy, but it's not a great sign of a great society if no one can live there anymore. And of course, the, the big issue of gentrification, people moving away. Amsterdam and especially certain areas have really become a place only for the rich. And besides that, we see that lots of the housing there has, is now, for example, for expats or as a second house for investors. You know, you have all these massive lofts. I think we pride ourselves then suddenly in that Justin Bieber bought a loft in the city center, you know, whereas if you look at that place, it's like you could fit like 12 families there. So I think that's kind of problematic to say. And also a lot of housing has been transformed into uh, short-term rentals, especially in the city center of Amsterdam, but also increasingly in other areas. So it also means that a lot of places are are not for people who need a house anymore, but actually for people who just come there as a tourist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are we, if we go and stay in an Airbnb in, in a city like Amsterdam or Barcelona, are we sort of complicit in the housing crisis? I mean, I think in the end, it's a system that is there. So, and I always feel it's a bit like strange to just blame one person for using something that is available to them. The system is the problem transforming full housing blocks into illegal hotels. That's the problem. And that's what we should tackle. And we should tackle the root cause of the problem. And then, yeah, there will be less available. So there will also be fewer people who use it probably. But I don't think we should blame people for using it. So what can, what can we do about this at the European level? Well, one of the things I've been working on is the short-term rental regulation, because one of the problems is that cities have tried to get some grip on the short-term rentals, but they don't get any data from the platforms. So the short-term rental regulation should change that, and uh, we'll vote on that very soon. The other things I think we can do is really try to see if we can have you know, a response mechanism on the European level. Of course, you know we always get the story that housing is not a European competence, but there are so many you know, rules and, and also like little regulations that are just influencing the housing housing sector and the housing crisis. And I think it's very important we look at all those tools because the housing crisis is so big everywhere in Europe. I mean, we're talking about the Netherlands now, but everywhere in Europe we see this problem that we really also need to look at what we can change in the European uh, level. So one of the things I think is would be very positive if we do in the next mandate is have more transparency on uh, housing transactions and who actually owns all this uh, real estate, because that's very opaque. Um, and there's a lot of things also going wrong uh, when it comes to money laundering and things like that. So I think that would be very helpful, but also have a 
a bit more of a look at the fiscal rules right now. Governments are sometimes worried or local governments are worried to invest in affordable housing uh, for their people who are in dire need of affordable housing because they're worried that it's not in line with the fiscal rules on the European level. I think that's, you know, something when we're talking about something that's so important that has been defined as a right in many constitutions, also in Europe. I think there we, we really have to have a different look. That's a really interesting point. You know, you talked about gentrification, you talked about uh, tourism, you talked about corruption, possibly even. But one thing one thing you didn't mention is migration. You know, during the uh, national elections in the Netherlands, Heert Wilders really made this a big part of his campaign. He sort of integrated the two issues. He made the point during a TV debate that there's a shortage of 390,000 houses, hundreds of thousands of new people entering the Netherlands. And he said, look, there are 90,000 asylum seekers. And if they're allowed to say they're going to get a priority. I mean, is this also a factor? This is one of the things that has been said a lot. And, and indeed, migration is, is being used as sort of an, a reason that we don't have enough housing. But you don't suddenly don't have enough housing. You know, this has been a process of years and years of, as I said, liberalizing the housing market, making sure that, you know, it's all for profit. The people I spoke to during the campaign, when, when I talk about what is important for you, it was often housing. And... Indeed, very often the first reaction was, and it's probably because of all these people that are coming to the Netherlands and are taking our housing. But then when you started asking, okay, so I, I remember one conversation really well, someone who lived really close to me, and he said that, you know, his sister was bullied out of her house by a landlord. He was not fixing her, her stuff. And I was like, but don't you think then that the problem is not that migrants are coming to take over the house, but that this landlord is actually not taking care of the house of your sister. And, you know, and it took a very long time to to discuss this topic with him. But in the end, he was like, you're actually right. It's not someone else. It's actually, you know, the people who are owning the houses right now that are the problem. And of course, we also have an investment gap. That's absolutely true. We need to build more housing. But I think that saying that it's the problem of the migrants, that is really such a shortcut. Of course, we need more housing for everyone. But yeah, that, that they made this topic such a only focusing on, on their favorite scapegoat rather than actually, you know, trying to improve the system. If we will have fewer migrants, we still have people on the waiting lists mm. and we will still have very crappy housing and nothing has been done to actually improve the housing crisis. So, yeah, that's a message that is less simple to convey, but it is a very important message we have to tell. The reality is that shortcuts and scapegoats are pretty good for campaigning. And so, you know, do you see... Wilder's success is sort of a model for the far right to use this issue in the European elections. I hope they won't. <laughs> but I mean, they're using scapegoats uh, as much as they can. I mean, populism is so strongly on the rise right now. We've learned a lot from how it went in, in the Netherlands as well. Although what happened in the Netherlands in the end, you know, it's like center-right party opening the door to the far right and then the far right actually winning after the center-right has moved so much to the far right that they became like a sort of a copycat. We've seen it happening in many other places as well. So I think the most important thing is that we don't have center-right parties copying these narratives and like actually trying to make sure that things get better for people rather than just also accepting the scapegoat in the narratives that we are talking about in the European elections. Do you see housing becoming sort of a central point of debate for the elections in June? And is there is there a good rebuttal maybe that's a little a little more time effective than, you know, sitting down and explaining it to each constituent as you did? I think the way that I've been talking about housing is all the time that 
we need housing for people, not for profit. I feel that that is also something that people really feel hurt with. It's like, yeah, indeed, why do I pay so much money? Why don't I even have a chance to even buy a house at some point? Uh, but I am allowed to pay three times as much as I would for rent as I would pay for a mortgage. You know, these kind of, you know, sentiments are very, very clearly also heard, especially also amongst the younger generation. That's where we should go. We should see housing as a right again and really focus on affordable housing and making sure that everyone can have a house, including migrants. You know, they also, asylum seekers also deserve a house. And uh, we should make sure that that becomes the story, that we shouldn't accept that housing has become such a playbill for the rich. All right. Kim von Sparentak, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Let's add that four years ago, our guest wrote a report on housing problems in Europe, which was then adopted by the European Parliament. She identified similar issues across the block, and she called for the EU to do more to tackle the growing crisis. But since then, the situation has only gotten worse, and we haven't seen that commitment from the EU. So now let's go to our final guest. Let's see what she has to say about housing becoming a banner issue for the EU after the June elections. And now I'm here in the studio with Anne Persons. She's the Secretary of State for the Brussels Capital Region. Anne, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Many of our listeners live in Brussels. I'm one of them. And I think especially for expats, Brussels is this like weird little oasis of like actually somewhat less expensive housing. And so many of us probably are not aware that that even Brussels, too, is facing housing crisis. What is the situation? We are truly facing a housing crisis. We have about 50,000 people who are registered on the waiting list for social housing. We only have about 7% of social housing now in the Brussels region. But if you see the income that the Brussels inhabitants have in average, almost half of the population would be able to apply for social housing. They not all do it, but they could theoretically. So there's a lot of people who are trying to rent on the lower rental markets and you have people who are very vulnerable and, and live in the streets and trying to like find an apartment, very, very vulnerable people, then low income people and even lower middle class. They're all searching on that lower rental mark. So there's a lot of pressure there. And I think we can only fix that by investing massively in social and public housing. And that is what we're already trying to do with the actual Brussels government. And we created more than 2,500 new social houses, housing apartments this term. But still, if you see the numbers, we'll have to do much more to make sure that everybody can have a decent and affordable housing situation here in Brussels. And I think that the pressure will continue to rise the following years. And we see it all over Europe. We see it in every in every big city. And I know that compared to Amsterdam or London or Paris, it's still quite cheap to find an apartment here. But for us, I think it's not the case for most of the people living here. And also we have to be very careful that the housing prices don't go up even more because we've noticed in Brussels every 10 years, the prices go up by 20%. And that is even not taking into account indexation. So the pressure is getting much harder and we don't want to become the next Paris or London. What's your sense of how did we get in this place where we're moving in this direction of really not having enough affordable housing? I'm from a socialist party, so I think it's problematic that housing is more and more a financial product and it should be a basic right. 
And uh, what we see is that it's used by investors to just make income and uh, a financial profit. You also see in the type that the market is now not providing in Brussels for, uh, they provide for higher incomes, but they don't provide for lower incomes. And that is problematic. And we as public authorities should have the possibility, I'm thinking about the European state aid rules that allow us to not only invest in social housing, but in public housing. And we also need enough money to do that because it's a very costly operation. And by, by 2050, 80% of the EU population will live in cities. If we will want to give decent housing to all those people, we will have to invest massively in social and other types of public housing because I don't believe the market will do it. Together with more than 40 mayors and representatives of European cities, you signed a declaration calling for, just as there's been a European Green Deal, now there should be an EU housing deal. We had this summit on Wednesday with uh, 40 mayors of big cities here in, in Europe. In the regard of the Belgian presidency, we wanted to do this sort of informal summit with the cities because we want to make sure that the urban matters are higher on the agenda of the next EU mandate. And one of the main priorities that we're all putting forward is that housing should become priority for the European institutions, that we need an ambitious EU housing strategy, that it should be possible through the, the different funding programs of the Commission to not only, because that's possible now, you can use funding to do energy renovations to your housing stock, but we would also like to be able to use funding to actually create more stock, affordable housing. We also think that uh, state aid rules should be adapted because now they allow us to invest in social housing, but not in other types of lower middle class affordable housing. And I think that's also a necessity. As I said before, a lot of major cities have difficulties keeping their key workers in the city, that we need those people to think of teachers, policemen, nurses. They can't afford to live in a city. So it's not social housing, but it's an other type of public housing, affordable housing that we need to be able to build. And the state aid rules don't, don't allow that right now. And I also think that we're really waiting for the new regulation on short-term rental accommodation type Airbnb, because that also has an effect on the prices going up. And the Belgian elections are going to coincide with the European Parliament elections in June. What's your sense of how this issue will be driving voters' decisions? I don't know. It's a good question because we all, of course, we're politicians. We want to win elections. And here in Belgium this year, we have quite some elections coming up, not only European, but national, regional, all the elections. And we do know that for me here in Brussels, if you take the Brussels situation, we invested a lot in public space, in cycle lanes, in, in really making the city greener and improving our public space. And I absolutely think that we should continue to do that. But I do think that the next decade will be the, the decade where we have to find solutions for the housing crisis that we're facing. And if we don't find good solutions, that more and more people will not find decent housing in Brussels. I don't know if you win elections by putting that forward. That's another another question. But I, if I see, and I know Brussels very well, if I see how the city is evolving, we are confronted with quite some gentrifications in some neighborhoods. And we are a city with people with extreme difference between revenues and, and profiles. And our, the advantage of Brussels is that it's a very mixed city when it comes to nationalities, but also when it comes to social economical profiles. 
And if we want to continue to have that Brussels that we know, making sure that everybody can have decent housing must be a priority. It definitely is mine, and I hope it will be the priority of the entire next, not only Brussels government, but also the new EU parliament and the new EU commission. Yeah, I mean, are, are the Eurocrats and the, all the expats here to work in the European bubble? I mean, are we part of the problem? Are we ruining it for everybody else by driving housing prices up? <laughs> I'm not going to put it like that. I, I know that probably finding affordable housing is less of a problem when people, of course, have higher incomes that are above the, the average here in Brussels. But I can imagine if you're a stagiaire here in Brussels and you're doing an unpaid internship that you also have a hard time finding a decent apartment. So, but I do hope, and I, I know that's the case, that people in the institutions, they can, it's not because they're not personally confronted with a difficulty of finding decent housing that they can't think of the general interest and, and think of the, all the people living here in Brussels and see how it's in the cities that they grew up up and here in Brussels, it's becoming a major issue for a lot of people. Back to this election idea, we also are talking about in this podcast and in the previous podcast about sort of migration and its role as an election issue and also how in, in the Netherlands we saw Heert Wilders kind of link migration together with housing. Um, and here, you know, refugee accommodations have been full for over a year. There's no room for male refugees who've been sleeping rough. So what's your perception of sort of the link between the political questions of migration and housing? In fact, it's it's the Belgian national government's duty, the federal government's duty to make sure that all people who are in the in the process of getting recognized as a as a refugee that they have a decent housing and right now they're not managing to deliver and then as a result people are sleeping in the streets and are sometimes sleeping in abandoned uh, apartment blocks or office blocks we really regret that as the Brussels government because we are the capital they sleep in our streets we already have in Brussels an average of I think it's 7,000 people who are considered to be homeless. Nobody should sleep in the street. We are the capital of Europe. It is completely not decent that we have people sleeping in the streets. You make the point about about different layers of government in Belgium. And then, of course, people say, you know, that housing is not an area where the EU has authority. But there is talk about this idea of having having a housing commissioner. Is that something that you would support? And, and do you think that giving the EU a bigger footprint on these issues would be helpful. Through EU funding and to investments or loans to the European Investment Bank, I think there are some things that are already been done there. Indeed, it's not a competence of the EU, but we really would like the EU to develop a very ambitious housing strategy. We want a commissioner for urban matters and housing is part of that. We would ask the commission to really make sure that cities are consulted when they are preparing new regulations that funds are earmarked for cities. We were really all trying to convince the different EU institutions that housing should be more a concern also on the European level. All right, well, we'll see how far you get with that with the Belgian presidency. And Spursons, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. So as we heard, there are several ideas about how the EU could tackle the housing crisis. One suggestion is to add a new housing commissioner or set up a special task force to oversee housing policies across the EU27. Another idea is to create a big pot of money to fund the renovation and construction of new social and affordable housing. There was also some talk about changing the EU's fiscal policies. But what we haven't heard so far are real commitments from leading EU politicians. So what's stopping them? 
Well, there's that whole issue, which came up in our conversations, about how housing just isn't part of the EU's job. Diplomats also told our reporters that even if the EU is given the authority to act, it would likely struggle to make progress. The lack of affordable housing may be a pan-European problem, but it's shaped by local conditions. What drives up rents in Lisbon might not be an issue in Prague or Tallinn. In any case, we'll certainly be on the lookout to see how this crisis gets resolved. Or if those rents stay too damn high. Rent is too damn high. And that's all for today. Remember to follow EU Confidential on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. And if you have feedback, questions, or ideas for guests or topics, send us an email at podcast at politico.eu. I'm Sarah Wheaton. Thanks to our senior audio producer, Deanna Sturris, and our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez. See you next week.